You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome. Welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock, your host. Thank you for joining me for the weekend edition. The best of what ESPN won't talk about, Fox Sports won't talk about. You get to hear it here in a recap version of our whole week. The whole damn show is basically what no one else will talk about but should be talking about. We started on Monday. Is Tom Brady having a midlife identity crisis? I think that's at the heart of what is troubling the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He got a little shouting match or shouted at his teammates. Anyway, we talked about that. We talked a little bit about Bubba Wallace deliberately running Kyle Larson off the track and then challenging him to a fight. Awesome show on Monday. Take a listen. All right. uh, Do you agree with me? Do you think this is father time or is this father fame uh, undermining Tom Brady? I think it's a bit of both. Look, for us not to think that a 45-year-old athlete would not have a physical erosion, it's just not natural unless you got some help. Now, uh, everything you laid out, I didn't really hear about it uh, until afterwards. I've got to say this. I'm extremely disappointed in Tom Brady with this behavior because I've said this before and I'll say it again. It's been echoed many times. As the quarterback, especially a franchise quarterback who is iconic, You have to be all in. In other words, you got to be the first one in, last one out. Nobody can work harder than you in between all that time. And if you're not that guy, uh, I feel bad for you. It's like being pregnant. You either you aren't or you are. There's no halfway. Now, the Wednesdays off, that's that's a concession I think that's probably made to a lot of older uh, football players. I know in training camp, If you're in the league for 10 years, coaches say, basically, you get this day off. We're going to cut your reps. I get that because Wednesdays can be a day where they just install the game plan. It's more about the mental reps. I get it. You want to save the wear and tear. But him cutting out on the team flight to go to a wedding. And by the way, fall weddings during football seasons, aren't they the damn worst? I hate that. But Tom Brady made the commitment to be a professional football player. You know what being a pro is? A true pro does something even when it's not convenient. You better fly with your team. There's no excuse. You could zoom in your best wishes to Robert Kraft. I know it's your good friend, but you know what? You made the choice to unretire so you could not enjoy these type of moments. That's the sacrifice. And I'm sorry, uh, I'm just wondering if Todd Bowles should have said, wait a minute, wait, Tom, if you're not on that plane, you're not going to start. It reminds me of a classic story. 1992, the Cowboys are all on the plane. One, Michael Jerome Irvin is not there. Probably coming out, finishing his business at the White House, and everyone's like, five minutes to go. All of a sudden, Jimmy goes, close the door. And Troy Aikman's panicking. This is a funny story. So literally, as the plane's going off the tarmac, Michael Irvin is racing in like O.J. Simpson from the Hertz rent-a-car. And Troy Aikman is begging Jimmy, Jimmy, he's here. And he goes, nah, 
get that plane in the air. So Michael Irvin had to catch his own direct flight uh, to Detroit because they were playing the Lions. Get to the meeting, and Jimmy Johnson said, Michael, I'm very disappointed in you. Uh, stand tight. You suspended. You're not starting. Now, that suspension lasted all of three plays because the offense looked so bad. Norm Turner was begging Jimmy, like, Jimmy, everyone's cursing at me. <laughs> okay? I'm getting all the – Jimmy, you've made your point. Do you want to win or not? But there was a point made because Mike Irvin, for all his wackiness back then, uh, Jason, I didn't hear of him missing another team flight. And, and I think there's that old line with great uh, leadership and power comes responsibility. And I hate to say it, Tom Brady has become that guy – who's abusing it, and that's disappointing to hear. Steve, my point in why I discard father time as an excuse is because the the physical toll of the game has been so reduced that if if they were playing under these rules 30 years ago, (laughs) Brett Favre might still be playing right now, or uh, George Blanda might have played till he was 55. And, and so I don't think the, the game is so has been so physically relaxed. I'm yeah. not as impressed with Brady playing until age 45. I don't see a physical erosion. I see a guy who doesn't understand 50% of his value is the tone he sets yeah. within the team. And he helped cultivate and create that culture that made New England special for two decades. And I think he has fooled himself into believing, nah, you don't need it to win. And, oh, we won a Super Bowl in Tampa Bay with a a looser culture. But what they're doing in Tampa, it's not sustainable. And it's great that they won that Super Bowl, but for two decades, New England was a Super Bowl contender year in and year out and appeared in 10 Super Bowls because of that culture. Brady has disavowed that culture and wants to be an entitled millionaire athlete like everybody else. Jason, could you imagine Brady going up to Bill Belichick and say, hey, Bill, uh, I'm going to catch an Uber to the game on Friday. going to go to the wedding. Could you imagine what Belichick would mumble to him? I I mean, seriously, but but again, this is an age-old story that I see in boxing. When Muhammad Ali... Uh, fought the Thrilla in Manila. I'm just a grueling 14-round fight against Joe Frazier in the third chapter. He should have retired. I guess it would have been maybe the perfect ending for him as a boxer. And then certainly after he beat Leon Spinks in their rematch in the Superdome several years later, after there was even more physical erosion, that would have been the perfect time to retire. And he kind of did for a while to Larry Holmes and all that money Don King brought to him in a suitcase, dragged him out. And then he fought one more time against Trevor Burbick, and it was a sad ending. I've said this about boxing. Uh, It doesn't give out gold watches. It hands out beatings. Now, I don't know if that's going to happen with Tom Brady, but you're absolutely correct. When you are the tone setter, and in essence, you're the culture, you, you have to adhere to it more than anybody. And I've heard a couple of players make this point. If Tom Brady... Mr. Tough Guy is in my face as a big lineman, no matter how badly I'm playing. And I'm getting hit in the head, getting banged around. And this guy, uh, Mr. Let Me Just Catch You On There Sunday Night or Sunday Morning, is screaming in my face. 
there's a part of you in the back of your mind say, excuse me, you get Wednesdays off, you took a private jet here, you went to a wedding. Why don't you lay back and get rid of the ball a little sooner? Because you have the license to do that if you're putting in all the time and effort like anybody else. Like Troy Aikman was a very hard teammate, especially during the Barry Switzer years when he had to become the sheriff. But the reason why I think Troy had that license is, number one, he took a beating back in that era. But I don't think he ever missed a practice. And he certainly never went to a wedding on a Friday night and missed a team plane. I think some people are going to hear this conversation. Oh, you're being too hard on Brady and Bob. No, no. And and, yeah, I don't think we are. Uh And I, I, Uh I think people don't recognize that people can change. People, you know, anybody smart that's been married for longer than five years or five minutes, anybody that's been, you've watched people change. The guy or girl you married uh, in 1998 may not be the same person in 2008, and that's what I think we're looking at with Tom Brady. The whole midlife crisis thing is real. I, I say this jokingly, but you know, I think three of my best friends, three of my best friends, all guys I went to college with, and these I, I'm not remotely commenting on their marriage, but I'm talking about three of my best friends all have Corvettes right now. They, 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 have, they literally, their extra car is a Corvette. And I'm just like, holy cow, this midlife crisis thing is real. I, I, I'm looking at friends, I mean, it, it's it's just real, and I think that's what's going on with Brady. Well, first of all, the the, the 1980s called, uh, yeah, they want their car back. Oh, but you know what? It still beats getting an electric vehicle. So props to those guys. But yeah, you're right. I think a lot of the teammates, especially the ones that played with the Patriot way, they're probably looking at Brady saying, "We don't even know who you are anymore." I, I just really think again, we've talked about this. The football season is actually the toughest physical grind, but it's the shortest season. It's basically you start your camp in July, but the game starts somewhere around Labor Day weekend. And nowadays it seeps into February, but you still have the longest off season. Tom, everything you want to do socially as a regular civilian, you have plenty, plenty of time to do. And by the way, most men... Don't they use football as a reason to not go to weddings? And this guy's using a wedding to miss out on football? Oh, oh, as my friend Dave Smith would say, man card violation there. Let me just pull that out there, Brady. Not a good look. Do we think the Buccaneers will right the ship? They're 3-3 three and three mm. right now. No one really, you know, Philadelphia looks very good in the NFC. Everybody else to me is suspect. Do you think the Buccaneers right the ship? And, well, they're not. That's part one. And then two, how much of the blame do you think may end up falling on Todd Bowles? Uh, unfortunately, after last week of being honest, a lot. Because he's no longer a sympathetic figure to much of the mainstream media. Now, going back, look, to be fair, uh, the Buccaneers from day one of this training camp for the 2022 season have been banged up all along the offensive line. They have to find some continuity up there. And can Julio uh, Jones find the fountain of youth? He has not been there, and he's been kind of relied upon or brought in to be that field-stretching guy 
to help out Mike Evans. But I thought it was odd yesterday. I read that Mike Evans had one target yesterday in the second half. And, you know, your go-to receiver, they, they, they may be shading coverage over there, but there's a reason why you call him your number one. Mike Evans is a highly productive receiver, physical, the type of guy that if it's a 50-50 situation, throw it up there, see what he can do, because he makes a lot of tough contested catches, and they also miss, even though this was a faded version of Rob Gronkowski the last couple of years, he was still an effective player that Brady trusted. Um, but again, that's not a great division, so I wouldn't completely count out Tampa Bay. Again, we're only six games in to a 17-game marathon. Somehow on Tuesday, Stephen A. Smith found a way to racialize Tom Brady shouting at his offensive lineman. Stephen A's an idiot. Bubba Wallace also issued an apology, boilerplate apology. Take a listen. We need to be consistent. Was Tom Brady passionate or was he the angry white guy? Mm. Because if that was somebody else doing what he was doing with his offensive lineman, we would have been talking about, if that was a black man, we would have been talking about his temper. We'd have been talking about the fact that he might not need to act like that with the cameras rolling. I had no problem with it whatsoever. If brothers ain't blocking for you, you 45 years old, you behind the center and you getting smacked around, you damn right you should get in their face. I have no issue with what Tom Brady did with them whatsoever. All I'm trying to say is that when a black quarterback does that, I don't want to hear nothing about it since nobody's saying anything about Tom Brady doing it. And I also don't want to hear about stuff being overblown. He went to Robert Kraft's wedding on a Friday night. He missed the walkthrough, etc. They clearly are not on the same page. They don't seem to have everything right. in order. If this was somebody, now in that regard, there is a Tom Brady category that's separate and apart from everybody else. The anger part, when he's getting on the offensive lineman, no. That's, everybody should be lumped into there. But in terms of him missing a, a, a walkthrough uh, because he went to the wedding, damn it, that's Tom Brady. Well, I'm that I would forgive him for. I'm say- <laughs> so, I think part of what Stephen A. Smith is doing there is I think Daryl Moose Johnston was the broadcaster calling that game, and Daryl Moose Johnson was defending Brady, uh, yelling at his offensive lineman, whoever the broadcaster was. Maybe it wasn't Moose. I can't remember. But but I think he's saying he didn't say it articulately or clearly that you know the broadcaster, if it had been a black quarterback, would have done X, Y, and Z, and. It's just a joke, man. And, and, and I didn't like what Tom Brady was doing because, again, he's not all in and his teammates know he's not all in. And so him yelling and screaming at them uh, just doesn't come off the way it did when he was in New England yelling and screaming at people because he was all in. But there is no racial component here. And I, I asked over Twitter yesterday, I was like, who, who is Stephen A. Smith's MK Ultra handler? Who, who, is, who, who is telling him to do this, to force these issues? Because it's like it's come from seemingly out of nowhere where he's constantly doing his Shannon Sharp impersonation. And I think someone is paying him or put him up to doing it. Well, first of all, it's interesting. TMZ interviewed Thomas Jones, longtime running back. Actually, I think was the starting running back for the Bears when they went to the Super Bowl back in 2006. They asked him about it, and he said, no, that's football. Happens a lot. Happens all the time. It's not a big deal. And quarterbacks getting on their offensive line, that 
has been going on for years. I remember as a kid, uh, Dan Marino used to get on guys all the time. Troy Aikman certainly did that. Here's my theory, Jason, as to why Stephen A. Smith pulled out the race card on this particular day. If you go back a couple of weeks ago, he put Miss Thing Malika Andrews in her place. Okay, so that went against the code, sort of. Last week or so, he was actually making the rounds for his podcast on Fox News. That's really against the code. So now, uh-oh, wait a minute. The community is not happy with him. So he has to basically go and do this fake neutrality. So it was time for him to dial up the let's get on the white media and white quarterback card. That's what I think is going on here, that he has to even up the score to show everybody, see, I get on everybody. And I hate that because they believe doing that and criticizing someone or the other side at an even ratio is fair and balanced. They think that's being neutral, and it's not. Now, all you're doing is accounting. It's very dishonest. And I see a lot of people do this in all forms of media. But I truly think that once he made the rounds on Fox News, and I saw some of the clips, and I was surprised that he actually did that and actually got along well with some of the hosts. And that must have angered certain people even more. So to get back into the good graces of certain people, he had to go there. Yeah, it's one of those deals where people people are playing both sides and you want to be everything to everybody and not have any willingness just to right is right, wrong is wrong, the truth is truth, the, you know, a lie is a lie. And so, yeah, I do think he's playing that game. He does have a scoreboard, a score. And you want to say, see, well, yeah. I played the race card on Tom Brady. Can't criticize me. Jason, and it, it... three, four weeks ago, we had an incident where Quinnen Williams, very good young defensive tackle for the Jets, was about to beat up his coach. I mean, his teammates on the sidelines had to get him back or there wouldn't have been assault and battery. You know what? No one brought up race. They said, oh, things got heated. Young players got to calm down. And you know what? Quinnen Williams is playing at a Pro Bowl level for a rejuvenated Jets defense. And they look like a real team. And you know what's funny? Everyone just said that's football. Calm down. I guarantee you Quinn and Williams and that coach are probably getting along pretty well right now with the way things are going. Nobody's brought it back up. It's not an issue. It's football. And I'm actually, well, I'm not surprised given the network. But I wish one of those players would have said, uh, Stephen A, <laughs> back off. It's not really that deep. It's football. We've all been through it. It happens. Um, it's not a big deal. But again, there's a certain agenda that is pushed on that four-letter network. And Stephen A. Smith, uh, I guess for lack of a better term, had to get his get back. All right. Uh, speaking of get back, uh, Bubba Wallace seems to be backpedaling. Uh, uh, he issued an apology uh, yesterday over his incident uh uh, let me read the apology over his incident with Kyle Larson and, and all that. I want to apologize for my actions on Sunday following the on-track incident with Carl, Kyle Larson and the number five car. My behavior does not align with the core values that are shared by the 23XI Racing and our partners who have played a crucial role in my incredible journey to the top of this great sport. I want to apologize to NASCAR and the fans, along with Christopher Bell, Joe Gibbs, racing team, and Toyota for putting them in a situation in the playoffs that they do not deserve. 
I compete with immense passion and with passion at times comes frustration. Upon reflecting, I should have represented our partners and core team values better than I did by letting my frustrations follow me outside of the car. You live and learn and I intend to learn from this. Uh, so what he basically is saying Wait is, I'm not gonna apologize for running Kyle Larson yeah. off the track. I'm gonna apologize for trying to fight him after we got out of our cars. And so, which, you know, I do think there are people in racing that think the retaliation on the track, that that's racing is dangerous, but it's a dangerous sport. And we've seen that before. Uh, anyway, your thoughts on his apology. You know, I didn't actually read the apology when I saw it. I just kind of skipped over it, retweeted it. I, I didn't hear the name. Uh, hey, look, I'm sorry to Kyle Larson. Now, this is interesting. I didn't know Kyle Larson was part Asian. So what happened to stop Asian hate? I, I guess that hasn't gotten to him yet. <laughs> no hashtag there. Okay, whatever. But there's no doubt that they told Bubba, old Bubba, hey, look, look you're going to have to save face here. You're going to have to take one for the team. You're going to have to apologize or you're going to – face some ramifications it's like most apologies um people aren't sorry for the actions for better or worse and if he's not sorry he's not sorry there's nothing i can do to control that nothing me or you can say that's going to change bubba wallace's a way of thinking or his mindset but uh he was forced to do this i get it um i actually would have had more respect for him if he would have said, damn it, I tried to run him off the road and I wanted to kick his ass. At, this, at, at least at that point, he's a lot more honest than he is now with that mealy mouth of apology statement that he just put forth. Bryson, you don't have to say anything if you don't want, but I did. You got any thoughts on any of this? Um, yeah, so the Tom Brady thing, well, Steve pretty much took it all out of my mouth, but uh, I thought that was normal. I played football growing up. I don't. I, I thought yelling at people was normal, and he is right. Stephen, Stephen A. Smith been on like a little journey where it seemed like he was getting red-pilled, and I think he has to, um, I think Stephen A. has to bounce back and get in the good graces of everybody, so let me just say something randomly uh, pro-black. But I have a question. Like, it seemed like he was referring to a situation that happened where people were angry at a black man for doing it? Or did he just make that up out of thin yeah. air? Made it up out of thin air. <laughs> oh my goodness. Made it up out of thin air. Do you notice how Stephen He has a. no example to cite. Yeah, I mean, by the way, it is great to be on with Bryson. I am a huge admirer. We, we've exchanged some DMs. Uh, he's gotten me through a lot yes, of sir. workouts on the treadmill. Because after all, all of this, I got to work at it. Bryson, thank you very much. It is great to have you here. But yeah, and that's the other thank thing. Uh, my, my view is this. It, it was, this is where Stephen A. Smith loses me. Uh, why not talk about the performance of Kyler Murray or Lamar Jackson a little bit more rather than Tom Brady? I, I don't get that. I mean, every time Tom Brady blows up at his lineman, and it's happened before, we talk about it. It's a story. But, yeah, uh, Stephen A. Smith, it seemed to me, Bryson, was getting red-pilled and somehow someone did the Heimlich maneuver and caught that pill right up. It's gone. It's gone. Uh, Bryson, I do want to warn you. Uh, Steve Kim 
welcomed Uncle Jimmy and Greg Couch to the show with that same kind of warm no, I didn't. A welcome he wrong. just gave you. And then this behind so the wrong. scenes, the, behind the scenes was like, <laughs> get these guys off the air with me. <laughs> Wait my, a minute. Wait they're taking a my minute. camera time. <laughs> Wait a minute. I may be Michael Jordan. I'm not Jerry Krause. Don't, I, I'm not the Turk. I don't tell anyone to bring in their playbook and the coach wants to see you. I, I'm just, I'm part of the working stiffs here too at Blaze. Give me a break. Don't listen to him, Bryson. We got to hump day. 31 of 32 NFL teams voted for Roger Goodell and his contract extensions. Jerry Jones, the only guy that willing to stand up and try to hold Jerry, uh, try to hold Goodell accountable. NFL is doomed. It's lost. It's surrendered to the BLM Black Lives Matter movement. <sighs> I wasn't feeling real hopeful on Wednesday. Take a listen. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady. Live only on Netflix. Let's talk some uh, Roger Goodell. TJ, I don't know if you saw this story. Uh, I think you did because I told you to look at it. Uh, But the NFL owners voted on Tuesday 31 to 1 to permit their compensation committee to open negotiations on a new contract with Commissioner Roger Goodell. Only one NFL owner, Jerry Jones of the Dallas Cowboys, offered any dissent Jerry and Robert Kraft, the owner of the Patriots, actually got in some beef over this and they exchanged harsh words. But what fascinates me about this story, and I'm reading the ESPN story, and I, w- I want to read this passage here. Uh, in the two years since he received his latest contract, Goodell has helped usher in a new 10-year collective bargaining agreement with the union that added a 17th game, helped ensure that the NFL didn't miss any games during the COVID-19 pandemic and landed long-term broadcast deals with the new and existing partners worth more than $100 billion. The NFL's popularity is unquestioned despite a myriad of concerns about the long-term health of players. A lawsuit from St. Louis over the Rams moved to Los Angeles. It ended up in a $790 million settlement and repeated scandals and investigations into Washington Commander's owner, uh, Dan Snyder. And so ESPN is painting the picture that, you know, Roger Goodell has been a flaming success, and that's why 31 of 32 owners, or actually it's uh, 30 of 31. Is that right? Yeah, because yeah, the yeah, Green Bay Packers Green Bay. don't have an owner. Yeah, Green Bay yeah. doesn't have an owner. But it, whoever represents them voted along with this as well. And it, I'm reading this story and I'm like, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Roger Goodell is this big flaming success. And, and I don't know what I'm talking about. All the ownership is pleased and happy with him. Uh, <laughs> this guy is, you know, the greatest thing since Pete Rozelle. Is is that and I'll tell you what's also funny to me. This is the last little tidbit before I turn it over to you. But they don't mention that Brian Flores and these black coaches are suing 
a handful of yeah. coaches are suing uh, the NFL. That, that's not mentioned. And again, I don't blame Roger Goodell for that, but they talk about all these problems and somehow the media makes a big deal. We got this black coaches controversy. We're giving away third and fourth round picks for people that sign black coaches or hire black coaches, but that's not mentioned at all. And so. This article seems a bit bought and paid for by Roger Goodell and his handlers, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Roger Goodell is a big flaming success. Is, is, am I wrong? Am I wrong? So they did not mention Brian Flores. They didn't mention the Ray Rice debacle. They didn't mention the concussion lawsuits from 2011 and that settlement and how the NFL has become feminized and um, not even the same game over the last decade. Um, They didn't mention how he totally mishandled Colin Kaepernick in the only time in the NFL's history they had a collapse in ratings, right? He's actually mishandled all sorts of things, but it depends on how you quantify how he's handling things because the NFL owners don't care about ratings. They care about money. And if you look, he came in in 2006. The uh, total revenue of the NFL in 2006 was 6.5 billion. Today it's 17.2 billion. So we're in a position where he's tripled the revenue of these guys in a very short time. And so <clears throat> that's ultimately what they care about. And, and the dissent that you discussed, if you read further on in the article, Jerry Jones didn't actually dissent as far as saying he shouldn't be commissioner. All he said was, hey, I don't want to pay him that much unless he does the stuff that I want him to do. And so he's, we're talking about these owners caring about money. Jerry Jones cares about money the most. He's saying, let's pay him less if he doesn't come through on these very things. That's the big thing. I want to stop you there and just say, I wouldn't characterize Jerry Jones's dissent that way. That's the way it's presented. That, that, that's, but I don't think that's reality. Jerry wants to hold him accountable and doesn't want to just keep handing him money. And that's a fallback position. When you have that overwhelming support, Jerry's not going to let the story come out that he wants Roger Goodell fired, because trust me, he wants Roger Goodell fired. But he can't even argue that right now because all the rest of ownership is so on board with him and he doesn't want to be an outlier. So he's just saying, can we at least just hold this guy accountable? Could, could we not just hand him these bonuses on these vague terms that we keep spelling out? This guy, again, I think in the story it said Roger Goodell in a two-year window, made $128 million. Yep. And, and, and Jerry, Jerry, like, again, the more money you pay him, the harder it is to deal with him. Trust me on this, take Dan Snyder, the owner of the Commanders. He can't stand Roger Goodell. He's no. been bullied and backed into a corner where he has to support Roger Goodell because these NFL owners, Jim Mersey, talking about, hey, there's merit to getting rid of him. Roger Goodell and his cohorts, in my view, Dan Snyder can't say this, but in my view, is orchestrating a lot of the problems Dan Snyder is experiencing. This is mm-hmm. Game of Thrones type war going on. People can't say what they really, really think, but if you, you know, I've been following this for a long time. Dan Snyder, Jerry Jones, if you listen to Papa John, Ball State grad, friend of mine, these guys hate Roger Goodell. Roger Goodell 
is playing a great game of chess against his detractors and has backed them into a corner so much that 31 of the 32 NFL franchises say, hey, look, let's just give him this money. We don't even want to put stipulations. We don't even want to make him accountable for all this money we're paying him. They're building a better Frankenstein. Could be. That's a fair argument. I, I think Jared Jones has more influence than you're giving him credit for. He virtually single-handedly moved the Rams out of St. Louis. I mean, that wasn't going to happen without Jerry Jones getting a whole bunch of these owners who were against it. Remember, when the uh, they had the committee out in uh, the with the Chargers, when they were going to do the split stadium in a, in a different place, the Chargers instead of the Rams, they had them out in five out of six on that committee recommended something else. The owners, Jerry Jones came in, put his arm around everybody and said, why don't we do this? And so I do think he's got more influence. I don't think he'd be the only guy sitting in there. If he wanted some allies, I think he'd get his allies. Um, he, you, don't, you disagree? I think he huh. had, H-A-D, had a lot of influence. And here we are, two, three, four, five, six, seven years later, and he's lost his leverage. This is a moving game of thrones that Roger Goodell is winning. Most of these guys are cowards. Uh, they just want to protect their money. They're not real patriots. Jerry Jones is on an island right now. When, when, trust me on this. Dan Snyder hates Roger Goodell. Yes. He voted. No question. He voted along with the crowd to save his own rear end. They have a gun to his head. And part of that gun was Jim Ursay saying, you know what, there's merit to getting rid of Dan Snyder. That was Jim Ursay cocking a gun at Dan Snyder's head on behalf of Roger Goodell. This is House of Dragons, Game of Thrones, Jerry's, Jerry's like King Viserys in, in House of Dragons. He's old, his, his influence is waning, the stuff you're talking about he did with St. Louis and all that and moving the Rams and all that was when he was at the height of his powers. He's no longer at the height of his powers. Uh, people are, you know, they're probably thinking more about Stephen Jones than Jerry Jones. And, mm -hmm. and all the little maverick innovations and the, the deals that Jerry cut for the Cowboys that were good for him, all that stuff's in the rearview mirror. Right now, what you're looking at, and again, it's, it's a shotgun marriage, but if I went full Game of Thrones, all these guys are bending the knee and pulling out their swords and saying, I'm with House Goodell. And I, I, got, I don't like Goodell. I don't like what he's done, but I got to say hats off to him. He's winning this Game of Thrones. So... We're getting hung up on the one guy because we do agree on the rest. Um, fair argument on Jerry. I, I'm not sure he's quite knocked off his horse the, the way you do, but the uh, we are in agreement of this. The average owner is 71 years old. These guys, when they when they get to the end, most of their kids, unless it's a family business, right, with the Roonies or whatever, like we just saw with Denver, the kids would love to keep it. They can't pay the taxes, and so they sell them at the end. These guys are fine 
with Roger Goodell destroying football so long as they get paid in the short term. These guys are all going to die in the next 10 to 20 years. We know that. There's very few young owners. What is it? Hadley gave me a stat. 87% of these guys are 60-plus years old, right? There's very few guys that are in the early part of their life. So they want to get as much money as possible, and this money is locked in for the next decade, right? They're, they're getting $17 billion from last year. Coming up this year uh, for the 23 season, they get to rework the NFL Sunday ticket, which will probably double. It's $1.5 billion per year right now with DirecTV. They're now shopping that to Google and Apple, trying to figure out who wants to pay $3 billion, right? And so you've got Amazon locked in for a $1 billion a year, just showing Thursday night football. CBS is locked in for $2.1 billion a year. ESPN and ABC 2.7, right? Fox at 2.2, NBC at 2 billion. They're making so much money right now that they don't care. And it's not even going to affect their family in the future because they're going to sell these teams still at some point, probably in the next 10 years, 15 years when they die, and they'll get paid. So it doesn't matter if the long term is that football is going to torpedo, which it is if it stays on the trajectory that Roger Goodell has put it on. But again, he deserves, in their minds, some credit because the the if you look at the least valuable team right now is the Bengals. That's three billion dollars, right? The uh, Jerry Jones bought this is 1989, but it was 140 million dollars, million, and it's now worth over eight billion dollars according to Forbes. So these guys are making so much money because the revenue is going up and they're getting locked into these contracts. So then the value of their franchise goes up. And even Snyder, he doesn't want to leave, but he would have made a killing if he's got to sell his team right now. All these guys do. So as long as Roger Goodell and the back alleys can keep making these deals, keep the players happy enough, let's add another game, let's get some more TV contracts, let's get the revenue up to $20 billion. Well, when they got to sell their team, their family's taken care of forever. They don't, the, the demise of football doesn't have anything to do with them. They'll be dead. Thursday, we moved on to LeBron James, one of my favorite topics and targets. His pursuit of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's all-time scoring record should be a big story, a major story. It won't be because LeBron James wants to be more than an athlete. He wants to point everybody to his flaws. Here's what I had to say about that. LeBron James's quest to be more than an athlete has diminished his athletic accomplishments and focused attention on his intellectual shortcomings. James's misguided quest to be seen as a social justice activist, talk show host, movie producer, and NBA power broker has demeaned the sport that made him famous. That's why ESPN and TNT, the NBA's television partners, will be forced to manufacture anticipation, excitement, and drama around James's pursuit of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's all-time NBA scoring record. That pursuit kicked off Tuesday night when the regular season opened and James's Lakers visited the Warriors. Barring injury, LeBron James is projected to surpass Abdul-Jabbar in late January. The timing is poor. James will be hunting Jabbar at the climax of the NFL playoffs. But the timing is really irrelevant. A true telling of James's legacy will encompass his degradation of basketball and sports. More than an athlete translates to, I'm not a dumb job. It's a slogan steeped in identity insecurity. 
It insinuates James is ashamed of his profession. It strips sports of its exalted place in American culture. It undermines the importance of sports. It disparages jocks. It's not an argument athletes should make. It's an argument best left to pundits, educators, clergy, parents, politicians, comedians, and other culture critics. Muhammad Ali did not demand that we see him as more than an athlete. He insisted we recognize his greatness inside the ring. At the age of 22, when he stopped Sonny Liston in the seventh round, Ali barked, I'm the greatest boxer of all time. I shook up the world. I'm a bad man. Ali's organic and authentic actions outside the ring made him more than an athlete. His quest was always to be the greatest boxer. LeBron James can't match Ali's authenticity. That's why he will never be re as revered as Ali or Michael Jordan or even Tiger Woods. The main thing, competition within their sport was always the main thing with the all-time greats. LeBron has driven athletes away from an intense focus on winning and dominance. Many athletes now divert much of their attention to setting up their post-careers. They want to be moguls. Competition is their side hustle. Cultivating and managing a brand that takes precedence over athletic feats. LeBron wants to be judged as more than an athlete. He's pointing us to his flaws. As a movie and television producer, LeBron James, well below mediocre. As a host of The Shop, he's every bit as inept as Magic Johnson was hosting a talk show. As a social justice activist, LeBron is an uninformed race baiter who gets his talking points straight from Twitter. As a political activist, he's controlled by the Clintons and Obamas and compromised by Nike's ties to China. I'm a writer and a columnist. It's the best thing I do, so I insist on doing it. I'm perfectly fine with people judging me based on my work as a journalist. I won't be wearing t-shirts that say, more than a writer. I'm not ashamed of my chosen professor. No matter how much money I'm offered, I'm not gonna launch a second career as an underwear model or porn star. Watching LeBron pretend to be a public intellectual is the equivalent of seeing me on the cover of Playgirl magazine. You would never read my columns the same way again. No one wants to see me on Playgirl magazine. That's what LeBron has done to basketball. When I watch him play, I can't shake from my mind all the other aspects of his life that he's forced me to consume. When I watch Jordan, Magic, Larry Bird, Kareem, Isaiah Thomas, all I thought about was how incredible they were as athletes. I don't enjoy sports the way I used to because I know way too much about the men who play the games. I know how phony, easily manipulated, and misguided they are. They've removed all the mystery by sharing all of their thoughts on social media. I'm a consumer. When I walk into my favorite restaurant, I don't want the chef to be more than a chef. When I visit a church, 
I don't want the minister to be more than a minister. As you read my column, do you want me to be more than a columnist? As you watch this show, do you want me to be more than a broadcaster? LeBron James's pursuit of Kareem should be a big deal, a really, really big deal. It won't garner near the attention and celebration it should because LeBron has damaged the popularity of basketball. He's made us evaluate athletes in a way that exposes their shortcomings. He undermined the magic of sport. He disconnected the game from its most passionate fans, the common man. ESPN, TNT, and Nike will do their best to restore that magic. Barack Obama, Jay-Z, Kamala Harris, Spike Lee, they'll all sit courtside while LeBron tries to pass Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. So will Jack Nicholson, Denzel Washington, and all the other Hollywood elites. It will feel like the Academy Awards, a night celebrity elites set aside to wag their fingers at the commoners. Well, short of Will Smith and Chris Rock agreeing to a halftime boxing match, I'll skip the game and catch the highlights. I'm now more than a sports fan. Thank you, LeBron. Uh, we wrapped up Friday's show talking about Russell Westbrick. <laughs> we got into some really funny memes, including someone sent out a picture of like a 55-year-old Tupac Shakur saying that's what he would look like if Russell Westbrook had been the shooter in Vegas. Anyway, have an awesome weekend. Uh, take a listen to this Friday uh, West, Russell Westbrook rant and discussion. And his right on message uh, with what I like to talk about and say on this show about the impact of social media. I gotta, I'm getting hot with this jacket on. Let me unzip here and get a little air flowing in here. Uh, anyway, what happened last night with Russell Westbrook and the Los Angeles Lakers is right on target with what I've been talking about for a long time, what's going on with athletes and social media and how it's poisoning their minds and how it's disrupting their ability to perform. Russell Westbrook, in my view, is basketball's version of Antonio Brown. And so it's a different version. He's not as stupid as Antonio Brown. He doesn't have all the off-court, off-field issues as Antonio Brown, but social media has scrambled his brain. I started talking about this with uh, Antonio Brown when he tried to live stream Facebook Live in the locker room after a playoff game. I started I was like, oh my God, this guy's living for social media. There's a problem here, a major problem. And things just got worse and worse and worse and worse and worse for Antonio Brown as things kept unfolding in his life. I'm seeing the exact same thing, and it's all transpiring on the court with Russell Westbrook. He can't think, he can't compete, he can't perform without all of his thoughts being consumed with the outside noise. Are fans calling me Westbrook? Are there gonna be memes about me after the game? 
uh, is Skip Bayless going to say something on his show that's going to get retweeted and said and and I got to get upset about. He can't focus on himself and his job because he's thinking about everything else and all of it is connected to social media. All of it. So, let's he went 0 for 11 last night. Let's let's break down he after now, let's start with his performance on the court. There's a play I want to show you guys that kind of crystallizes everything that happened to Russell Westbrook last night. He, he goes 0 for 11 from the field. The Lakers lose to the Clippers. Uh, he's clearly the talk after the game. Let's watch this play. It's, it's like a 25, 30-second clip of Russell Westbrook imploding on the court and doing what Westbrook now does. Seven rebounds, six assists, and here he goes. Kennard is on him. Shot clock at nine. Westbrook, 0 of 9, driving on Zubats. Shot clock at five. Westbrook, shot clock at two. Westbrook at one. It was... That's Russell Westbrook. He has no game plan. He doesn't know what he's doing on the court. He gets captured basically by a defender, gets forced into a bad shot. At that point, he's 0 for 9. Now he's 0 for 10. The, and here's the other part that's going on. People are caping up for him. I think Reggie Miller at some point last night, because Lakers fans are so upset with Russell Westbrook, and they can see so clearly that he's discombobulated. He's big. The, the other analogy I've made is like Russell Westbrook is, if any of you older people remember Steve Sachs, I think the second baseman for the Los Angeles Dollar Dodgers that couldn't throw to first base, could not throw to first base. It ended up ruining his career. That's who Russell Westbrook is. It's so in his head. He's got the yips like a golfer. He can't throw to first base like Steve Sachs. But... People are caping up for him. Reggie Miller last night, we, we don't have this clip, but at some point Reggie Miller last night said, oh my God, how can he perform in this toxic environment? How can he uh, uh, play when the Lakers fans, because they were gasping when Russell Westbrook would get ready to shoot, you know, people would shout no or they would gasp. You could hear it, it was audible. Like everybody in that building knew like, no nah, Russell, don't shoot. Oh my God, here goes Russell, shoot. And Reggie Miller is blaming the fans and the toxic environment. So that little clip we played is, that basically summarizes Westbrook's night on the court. After the game, Russell Westbrook is in such a state of delusion, denial, discombobulation, he goes 0 for 11. I think, you know, he had two points, maybe four or five steals, a few assists. He had a horrible game. He gets asked about it after the game. <laughs> yeah, I had a solid performance. Play the clip. As we're in it to the very end, what are some of the things you can point at for the reasons why you didn't come out on top? Uh, not sure. Not one particular reason. Well, competed. How about you personally? How would you assess your game tonight? Um, solid. Yeah, solid. Um, played hard. That's all you can ask for. Um, move on to the next one. Darvin just said, whoever it is, if the team's not making shots, keep shooting them. Is that a mindset everyone can adopt? Um, I believe so. 
us. You, you mentioned the, the keep shooting mindset in this team, and, and it, it's not just you. There are a lot of guys that are missing shots right now. Are you seeing the misses affect confidence? Are they affecting your confidence at all? No, because he keep telling me to shoot. <laughs> I missed a few shots. On a set. I appreciate that. On a set. For real. For they're dapping each other up they just got beat and again there's there's a delusion that they want everybody to participate in they think that will make it better it's no different what that would look like what just happened there would be me showing up at fat camp and and, and someone said, hey, Jay, you know, you're 360 pounds and, and, and so asking about my performance at a buffet. It was solid. It was solid. Yeah. And, and then some other fat guy said, yeah, you kept telling me to get more wings and us dapping each other up. There's like a delusion that we want people to exist in. We want to create a bubble of positive reinforcement regardless of what's going on with them. It's not, again, it's like the same people. That's the same people that uh, look at uh, Lizzo running around in a thong at damn near 400 pounds and saying body positivity. That's the kind of bubble wrapped world we're creating for people so they can live in denial about their problems. Yeah, Russell kept telling me to shoot. Yeah, I had a solid game. And this this fake make-believe matrix world where you can go 0 for 11, when you can be a problem for the Lakers all of last year and a clear problem, they're starting the season off 0 and 2. Russell Russell Westbrook is the problem. Again, I'm not asking his teammate there to take a dump on him, but just shut up. And Russell Westbrook needs to snap out of his delusion and say, you know what, I gotta shoot better, I gotta play better, I gotta get in a rhythm. That's not me, that's not who I am. 0 for 11, I I hurt this team. He needs to be living in that headspace. But we don't allow that now. We lie to everybody. We lie and tell everybody, oh, no, Jason, <laughs> you're perfectly healthy at 360 pounds. You look good, bro. Keep it up. That's what we do. Kevin Durant, former teammate, friend of Russell Westbrook, feeling sorry for Russell Westbrook. And so we think that lying to people sets them free or moves them in a better direction. So listen to Kevin Durant lie to about Russell Westbrook. The Lakers got a big microscope on them, so you got to be on point every time, you know? So if Russell missed a layup, it's going to be <laughs> yeah. you know, blown out of proportion. If he missed a three, he might be five for seven, though, but he missed yeah. those two shots, though. You know what I'm saying? I understand that at certain points where you don't play well and people are, you are open to criticism when you don't play well. Uh, we get that, but it, it's, 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 tip, it's like now you, you, you're making him the butt of your jokes now. It's like, yeah. it's, it's going to a point where it's like, all right, I get the criticism for what he did that night, but now it's starting to reach a different level of some shit that I don't under, yeah. understand right now. So hopefully you just keep hoping and block all that noise out and prove very prove to everybody that you know they wrong about how they feel about this game and they mesh over there in LA and but when we play them I hope they play shitty but <laughs> yeah, I yeah, hope yeah. all that stuff works out because I hate I hate how they talk the dialogue around our game is just so 
toxic at this point now. I, you know, I get criticism, but it's starting to make t- turn into something else right now. There is tiny kernels of truth in what Kevin Durant is saying. But there's also a lot of BS in what Kevin Durant is saying. This game is so toxic. It's so, there's a lot of BS around our, our game and I can't deal with it and it, it's just so toxic. Hey man, y'all making 40, 50 million dollars a year. You got shoe contracts paying you the same kind of money. Nobody's feeling sorry for you. Does anybody, Kevin Durant maybe hasn't lived long enough. You remember the kid Steve Bartman with the, the fan in the stands at that Chicago Cubs World Series game? playoff game, interfered with the ball, and the whole world rained down on him. Nobody, nobody threw a pity party for Steve Bartman. Remember Bill Buckner flubbing a ball in a World Series game for the Red Sox and the world caving in on him? What's going on with Russell Westbrook is no harsher than that. It's just, again, we're so sensitive now and we're so caught up in social media. This whole brand building thing that you guys have all bought into and why you're captured by uh, social media because you're chasing money and all your handlers think it's important that you're on social media and you've <clears throat> adopted the worldview. That, that is your reality, what's going on on social media. Don't blame us, blame your handlers. Blame yourself for participating. Blame yourself for not being strong enough to realize that that garbage on social media isn't reality. It's not the real world. Finally, I want to show you this clip. And again, this is how discombobulated and just off his square, we like to say, Russell Westbrook is. After the game, he's walking off the court, a fan, hollers, you suck. Russell Westbrook turns back around to confront the fan. And according to everybody, he says, say it to my face. The dude walked down and said it to his face. But you know how long fans have been yelling at athletes as they walk off the field? That's been going on forever in all sports. That's part of the price of being a man in the arena. You are going to have hecklers. If you're not man enough to ignore them, don't blame me, don't blame the fans, don't blame social media. That's a you problem. You're not built for this. And that's my entire pro- It connects to what I was telling y'all yesterday. What LeBron James has done to sports and how he has made fans and everybody evaluate athletes, not just by their on-court performance, but all these other things. They want to be more than an athlete. And so now you've brought in other opinions and other thoughts and a different level of derision and disparagement. And again, this connects to whole Kevin Durant. Oh, things have just gotten so toxic and things are... You've done it. You wanted to be more than an athlete or you sat quiet as LeBron James promoted that nonsense. And now you're wondering why there's more vitriol spewed at you? 
When, when your league, when you force your league to paint Black Lives Matter on the court, you've taken a harsh political position. There will be blowback. When everybody in your league is woke and all the players want the owners fired because the owners said this word or that word or, you know, you've put yourself in the crosshairs I don't want to hear this whining and complaining now that the heat in the kitchen is too hot. Man up. Man up. That's Russell Westbrook is weak. He's a beta that runs around picking fights with fans. He accused Utah Jazz fans without any evidence. Oh, they racist and they did X, Y, and Z and it's Utah, so of course they have to be racist. He did that. He created his own inferno, his own toxic environment. And because none of the NBA players were man enough to say, hey, Russ, cut it out. Hey, Russ, that's unfair to those fans. Hey, Russ, that's unfair to Utah. None of y'all are man enough to call each other out. Hey, hey, LeBron, this whole more than an athlete thing. That's stupid. You barely got out of high school. You could barely read when you got out of high school. No one cares about you being more than an athlete. You're not more than an athlete. I take that back, that's a little harsh. But again, this whole scale, you're not a TV producer, you're not a talk show host, you're not a public intellectual. You're someone that can dunk a basketball, and you were born with some genetic gifts that make you an awesome athlete. But this burden of being more than an athlete you placed on all of us is killing all of us. <sighs> Steve, I'm, I'm sorry for making you wait this long uh, to get in here. I didn't, Steve. And I know you're chomping at the bit to get in here, but I want you to wait a little bit longer because I want to open up a little bit more space for you here because I know I, I, I want to I want your thoughts. I know you're going to be interested on this. You're a longtime Lakers fan. Uh, but I got to tell you guys about before I get to Steve, I want to tell you about my great friends over at Preborn. Almost one out of every five Americans never have a chance to live outside the womb because of abortion. It's the leading cause of infant death in the world. Over 63 million babies have been aborted just since Roe v. Wade was enacted, and a lot more will be aborted in its wake. The Ministry of Preborn and Blaze Media, we're partnering to help rescue 50,000 babies from abortion in 2022. We're working to put Planned Parenthood out of business by providing free ultrasounds to expecting mothers. 80% of the time, hearing that baby's heartbeat is enough to convince the mother to keep her baby. And when she chooses life, guess who steps in? Preborn. Provides all the maternity and baby clothes, diapers, car seats, counseling, and much more free of charge. That's their level of commitment to the preservation of life. Preborn has a passion to save unborn babies from abortion and see women come to Christ. Over the past 15 years, preborn centers have counseled nearly 500,000 expecting mothers and has saved nearly 200,000 babies' lives. 
Will you help rescue babies' lives? To donate, dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250, keyword baby. Or you can do like how I like to do when I cough up my money for preborn. I go to preborn.com slash fearless. You can do that as well. You guys know I love preborn. You guys know it's, I'm very passionate about this issue. Be good, fearless soldiers. Support preborn. All right. Now be good, fearless soldiers, and listen to our main man, the Korean Cosell, help me unpack the Russell Westbrook uh, topic. Uh, Steve, uh, let's start here. You feel sorry? Do you feel sorry for Russell Westbrook? <laughs> Whitlock, please. This is the most interesting part of the Lakers season. I mean, I, I spoke yesterday about the apathy of the Laker fans. I think it's turning to downright antipathy now. And I was thinking about this. As you showed those clips, there have been two famous bricklayers in sports history. First was Jerry Rice's father, right? You heard the stories about Jerry Rice going out uh, to his job uh, during summer days, and his dad would drop him bricks, and he became the greatest wide receiver of all time, really softened those hands. And then it's Russell. I, I mean, honestly, if China ever wants to renovate that Great Wall, send him over. He's got you. If we ever get a Republican back in charge of our, our borders, send Russell. Trust me. We will stop that foreign migration real fast. It's ridiculous. And the one thing about Russell Westbrook is, even at his peak, I always thought it was a lot of empty calories. Uh, I, I hate to sound arrogant, but I'm going to go there. I always judge a person's basketball intellect if by if you thought Russell Westbrook was actually great and that triple-double seasons were something to be celebrated. Because it was, to me, if you really thought it was amazing and, my God, this is so great, you really didn't know basketball. Because if you actually watched the games, for him, less would have been more. What Russell Westbrook's legacy is going to be on the history of basketball, he has lessened the impact and the importance of triple-doubles. He really has. Look at the no amount of triple-doubles that he's had throughout his career. Compare him to Magic. Does that make him better than Magic in any way? Uh, James Worthy, the great big game James Worthy, in his career, believe it or not, Jason, had one triple-double. You know what game that was? Game seven of the 1988 finals against an incredible Detroit Pistons team where he did it all and where he earned the name from Francis Dale Chick Hearn, big game James Worthy. So to me, when you look at him, you kind of say to yourself, what does all this mean? Um, I think there's an issue with the Laker fans now. They are starting to go to games to hate watch. And you never want that from your home fans. And Jason, you talked to me about, you asked about the Laker fans ever had this feeling towards a player. I do remember one time when we blew, blew our own because we're generally pretty positive. I remember when Kwame Brown um, ended up injuring, I believe, uh, Andrew Bynum in practice. And then something else happened. And there's this one game where every time he got the ball, he fumbled it away like Edward Scissorhands, and the fans started to boo every time he got the ball. Now, two days later, he got traded as part of a package for Pau Gasol. And, but I remember thinking, wow, Laker fans have never treated their own like this. Even during the, the years post-Magic, when he suddenly had to retire before the 91-92 season, and there was some mediocre basketball. Sedale Threat was our guard, Anthony Pig Miller, 
Antonio, Harvey, old Byron Scott, old James Worthy. But we knew, like, that's our team. We like them. There is now this feeling that the Lakers are no longer our team. We got to sit through this. We got to sit through LeBron's championship run towards a scoring title. Maybe no playoffs. And now we got to watch Russell Westbrook. And you know why that fan had no problems telling Russell Westbrook to his face that he sucked? Because he knew that if Russell Westbrook threw a punch, he'd probably miss that also. So, yeah, this is bad. Not not good at all for us Lakers. At all. Not at all. What do you think of my contention that this social media environment oh. plays a role in the undoing of Russell Westbrook? Because I think what's going on with Russell Westbrook is in his head. And I think it's been that way for a long time. That social media and, and the, its impact on media. Russell Westbrook takes the court and he's thinking, I wonder what Charles Barkley's gonna say afterwards. I wonder if, these, if Skip Bayless is gonna call me Westbrook. I wonder what memes are gonna be out there. He's thinking about all of this other stuff and I think it's, it's a reflection of what Twitter has done to the conversation around sports. Okay, to dive into that, let me unpack all of that. Once again, Charles Barkley was the most entertaining part of the NBA night on Thursday. Bottom line. Second of all, look, I get where you're going with the comparisons to Antonio Brown. I think it's a little bit far-fetched. Until we see Wessel Westbrook showing off his flag pool in a pool in Dubai, I'm not going to go there yet, but I see what you're saying. <laughs> but, but this started a couple of years ago. When Westbrook started putting on skirts and dresses on the NBA runway to his locker room, and I'm thinking to myself, are you here to play the game of basketball? Yeah, look at that. Oh, jeez. Or are you here to build your brand? You know, I don't know. Again, I'm old school. I'm unapologetic about it. Get this. I want my athletes to actually focus on the actual game. I know it's a novel concept, but I, right there to me shows me Maybe basketball is not as important as it needs to be for him. Um, the other thing is, and they're complicit, the media is soft. And so much of the NBA media, maybe the general media uh, at large in sports, is so much about access that if you come at a player too honestly, if there's such a thing, you get shut off from that player. He doesn't want to give you a sound bite. He blows you off. And these guys get their feelings hurt. And my view is this, the old school writers – would turn that into a joke. Our guy, TJ Simers, used to love players getting combative with them because you know why? He realized, great, you just gave me a column. I'm going to make a whole column on you blowing me off, and then all of a sudden you shame the guy. I've learned that in boxing. I, I think it's the greatest thing when a guy hates me or a fight doesn't happen. I think, oh, this is great material. It actually makes it more fun, but a lot of these media members are so soft that they don't want to hold anyone accountable. And as for Kevin Durant, hey, hey, Kevin, lay back. You you couldn't be more wrong about this situation. And when Reggie Miller says, the toxicity, hey, Reg, I love you, Reg. You're a Riverside guy, one of my favorite UCLA Bruins ever, okay? The toxicity is Russell Westbrook. That's the reality, okay? There's never been a great player that I know of that let's say shoots 55%, averaging 28 boards, 10 assists, and a couple of rebounds. But they, they've never booed him by saying, boy, that guy's kind of toxic. Give me a break. We have to be honest about this. 
Russell Westbrook's game never evolved. He's kind of like that athletic quarterback that could do all these flashy things, but never learned how to really operate within the pocket as his athleticism eroded. And you showed that clip. Jason, he's full gone. He's full blown Ben Simmons now. That he actually, from a basketball standpoint, you flip the ball, you flip the ball, you skip it, and all of a sudden there's an open jump shot. You know what's worse than a selfish player that shoots too much? Is a player that never shoots because he's absolutely scared because if that happens, it disrupts the offense. Because by the time they get the ball and they want to do anything, if they turn down a wide open shot to that nature, here's the problem. You got to reset that whole offense, and you only have 24 seconds to shoot in the NBA. This is a real problem, and and I would I, we've never really gotten to know this. Whose fault is it for Westbrook being brought to the Lakers? Is it truly Rob Palenka, or is it the LeBron James faction? Because they, I'm just telling you, they really made a mistake here. Because you look at that team, the way it's constructed, Jason, there's not nearly enough shooting for this version of the NBA. I wonder, I'll go Game of Thrones here. I wonder if LeBron didn't bring Russell Westbrook there to be the scapegoat. That LeBron knew, like, you know, we're really not going to be championship uh, year in and year out. And so I'll bring Westbrook in and he'll be the scapegoat. And I'll, I'll, you know, everything will get blamed on Russell Westbrook. I, I'm going to disagree with that because LeBron still wants to win. He, he does realize that part of his legacy, whether it's fair or not, is how many championships is he going to win compared to men like Kobe Bean Bryant and certainly Michael Jordan. And he needs to win. And if it's just going to be about scoring and padding stats, he, he, I think there's two priorities here with LeBron. Number one, to win another title or two. I'll be honest, that doesn't look like it's in the card. So the fallback is, okay, let me just score a lot of points and pass Kareem. But, no, I don't think there's a, there was this deep Machiavellian plot. Let me just tank everything by bringing in Russell Westbrook. And also with Russell Westbrook, look, I wonder, would he be better off in a smaller market, maybe a lesser profile city, and being a really good energy guy off the bench? Because, look, he still plays extremely hard. But he played hard to a point where it was reckless. And that's the thing that got me about Kevin Durant uh, playing the violin for Westbrook. AKD, you left Oklahoma City for a reason, or a couple of them. One of them was that guy didn't know when to just shove it into you in playoff situations. Give me a break. Steve, I want to play or show you a series of memes uh, related to Russell Westbrook. And we're going to, I want to decide which, I know which one I think is the best. And there was a lot of good ones. Uh, but I, I want to hear your thoughts. Let's start with uh, the first one, uh, meme, uh, <laughs> Brody Builder. Uh, that's pretty good. Uh, like that one. All right, let's move on to number two. Uh, Tupac, this is what Tupac would look like if... Uh, <laughs> If, if Russell Westbrook was the shooter, basically he'd be a 55-year-old man. Uh, <laughs> let's go to number three. Okay. That's, I think that's from points bet. Uh, yeah, that, that's pretty good. Let's go to number four. Damn! Oh, yeah, this is 
And then the hold on, we got one more. We got one more. Let's let's number five. Yeah, I like I like this one too. Uh, solid, solid. <laughs> anyway, uh, your thoughts on the memes? Which one's the best one? Okay, the fourth one that you showed, where the guys unloading the clip and missing on everybody. Here's the problem: it's not completely accurate because of as of right now, Russell Westbrook is afraid to pull the trigger that often. So I love it. Production value was good. I'm glad nobody was hurt in the making of that meme. I got to like the third one where he's hoisting up a brick. It's simple. It's to the point. It plays to the nickname, and you get it. That's the one. Number three is the winner with me. Whoa. You like that better than the Tupac as, as a 55-year-old man? I yeah. I, I, look at that. That's clever. Good. In the, I can see why his form is bad. His elbow's kind of wrenched out. Jeez. God, <laughs> that is bad. That's good, though. That's good, though. Hope you enjoyed that. Go to YouTube.com slash Jason Whitlock. If you're on Apple or Spotify, hit the like, hit the subscribe. Give me that five-star review. Join the Fearless Army. Get all that new Fearless Army swag. Have an awesome weekend. I will, and we'll see you on Monday. We're going to have two shows on Monday. We're going to talk some football, and then we're going to have the cookout. Big panel discussion about Killer Mike, Charlemagne the God, and, you know, just men. How long are we going to put up with the Alphabet Mafia running and controlling everything? Uh, we'll see you on Monday.